With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Natasha Mikkel, where we'll be speaking to two very special guests, in Paul and Martin from Celtic Shared. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, Natasha's obviously been in dialogue with you over the last week or so. We've seen the emergence of this new group, this new movement appearing on social media. It's very interesting during these worrying times and it would be brilliant to discuss in a wee bit more depth as to what your whole kind of plan is. What is your manifesto going forward? And we are going out live on YouTube, Facebook and on Twitter. So we invite comments and questions from anyone who who wants to know more about Celtic Shared. So, Natasha, over to you. Great. Well, thanks, guys, for coming on. Um, so let's start with the basics. Um, why don't, Martin, tell us a bit about Celtic Shared um, and the idea behind setting up this new initiative? Well, firstly, um, Celtic Shared, listen, it's still in its infancy, but the, the idea behind it is essentially to try and unite as many Celtic supporters as we possibly can under the one umbre- umbrella to give the fans a, a kind of louder, more prominent voice within Celtic Park. Um, right now, there is a number of successful, I should add, um, fan groups and CSEs and, and whatnot that operate. But I think, and, and a few others clearly think, that it would be good if we could all kind of come together um, and, and, like I say, kind of have a, a kind of louder voice within Celtic Park and have a bigger say in the way this club is run. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Martin. It's something we've discussed on here numerous times. I know you guys have tuned in before and heard us going on and on and on about fan engagement um, Mm. and our frustrations at the fact that that just isn't happening this season. And it's a question we get a lot is, do we feel ignored? And I think the answer is yes. And I don't know if you guys feel the same, Um, but we do feel that for large portions of this season, the fan groups are getting ignored. The feelings of the fans are very clear and they haven't been taken into account, well, up until this week, perhaps. Um, so is that is that a viewpoint you, you share, Martin, um, is that, that we do get somewhat ignored by the board and that's something we need to address? I think it's never been more obvious than this year. Um, certainly as far as I can recall it's never been um, more obvious that, that we've been ignored particularly um, once the season ticket money has been paid and everybody's signed up to their packages and their merchandise and all the rest of it um, this season has, has been a, a, a sort of perfect example but what I would also like to stress is probably that the need for the need for something like this a movement like this has probably been um, it's probably been evident for, for as long as I can remember anyway um, this clearly it seems like the, the perfect time to, to launch it I think mm-hmm. I should stress that this is no knee-jerk reaction to one poor season. Um, far from it. Yes, well, absolutely. Um, and a couple of comments we're getting in below um, are, you know, stronger together and one voice, one club. Paul, is that something you agree with, is that together these fan groups can actually create change if we do all come under the one umbrella and try and advocate for a bigger voice? Is that something that we can only achieve by bringing everyone together and having a focal point to do so? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've sort of hit the nail on the head and that this season's been disappointing for a number of reasons, particularly the football in the park. It's not panned out as we talked. But I think the one of the hardest things to accept for fans is that when supporters could so clearly see the writing on the wall, that when it came to us trying to force change, that really we had sort of limited power, limited ability to... Um, ensure that those at the club actually listen to us. And there are lots of organisations out there um, who you know, either uh, represent buses or attempt to buy shares, um, and they all serve their own purpose. But what we want to do is to sort of create a body that can hopefully unite people, but to really try and p- place some external pressure on the club so that fans have a greater say in the short term and also yeah. hopefully move to a more democratic model in, in terms of how we're run in the longer term. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that's something we fully support on here as well. Um, and something you both have touched on is this isn't a knee-jerk reaction. You know, we're not having a bad reaction to one per season. You know, no Celtic supporter, no Celtic group is throwing their toys at the pram because we're not going to win the league this season. It's far deeper than that. And you guys... Um, you know, it's fair to say that you're both um, involved in the Green Brigade um, and that's where this has stemmed from. And the Green Brigade in particular have been very vocal about the board not falling asleep at the wheel. You know, and that's not just been this season, that's been the last year or two years, is that the message has been very clear from you guys that and the support as a whole that the only people capable of stopping Celtic winning 10 in a row were Celtic. And that if the board fell fell asleep at the wheel, this would happen. We've warned this, and you guys in particular have warned th- about this for years. This isn't a knee-jerk reaction, um, but now more than ever, it is something that is needed. But I want to bring, bring you on in this, Martin. Why in particular now? Why do you think now is the ideal time to, to launch Celtic Shared and, and try and push for this greater voice at the club? I just think that the, the timing has never been more more kind of relevant than now. Um, but what I would say is certainly this has been at kind of forefront of our discussions um, in the background for uh, as long as I can remember in terms of it being um, really kind of strongly needed. But I think it's it's an ideal time because you can kind of almost harness the anger and frustration that we all kind of feel universally and mm. kind of try and turn that into a positive. Um, so this is no this is no sort of sack the board campaign. This is a more kind of positive campaign to try and actually unite everyone and push for positive change within Celtic. This is no, like mm. I say, this is no angry being mob at the the front doors of Celtic Park that want to, you know, empty the corridors. It's far from it. But I think it's time that we we can kind of harness the the kind of anger and the energy and turn that into something that we can all kind of benefit from as a club and as a a fan base. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. And Paul, that's something we see on here, isn't it? I mean, you know, as well as I do, about the viewing figures are through the roof because people need an outlet. They do. And I think the, the big thing... You know, I'm probably the oldest on this page at this moment in time. And I think back to the fan movements of the 1990s. Now, I'm not coming across all Celtic da on the podcast, but uh, basically Celtic were organised. Celtic fans were organised. And the board at that time felt as though they were untouchable. They, they would never be toppled. They became complacent because they had been uh, on the board. Their families had been on the board for the history of the entire club. So they didn't think that a group of supporters could get together spread a message uh, become one voice and actually affect change but we know that it did happen and I feel that over the last few months a sense of pride actually in the fact that Celtic fans are coming together, it's very fractured at times You know, the, because the emotions are running so high it's very fractured at times, certainly online um, but Celtic fans are now coming together uh, with a shared kind of vision as I say when something appears online and you hear that there might be involvement from groups let's say such as the Green Brigade or the Celtic Trust then I think that adds a bit of weight um, to any new movement that's happening but then other people without knowing too much about it um, ask various questions and I think today is a great opportunity for people like Sean who's coming in on YouTube to ask a question would that mean the Green Brigade or the Celtic Trust running the club is that the end game Paul and Martin uh, I'll put that one over to you we've had uh, quite a few sort of tweets with these sorts of kind of uh, suggestions or accusations that the GB want to run the club when that's you know a million miles from the truth you know I've got no uh, desire for us to be the ones kind of sitting in the boardroom and dictating things uh, what I do think is that as we've spoke about and as I'm sure has been spoke about on this podcast before and any other number of podcasts is that the fans don't have enough say in how a club is run at the moment. I don't understand how anyone could look at how this season has panned out and conclude anything else. So what we want in the short term is to facilitate a kind of better engagement with the supporters. But in the longer term, we do support the concept of fan ownership. Um, we do think that the Celtic Trust are the only viable vehicle for that. Um, but in terms of the way that the Trust is set up, the Trust is set up in such a way that anyone who joins a Trust co-owns a Trust. So it's not about the individuals who are in place just now or who hold uh, certain positions within the trust. The Celtic Trust is just a vehicle for the entire support to have more input and in hopefully how the club is run if we can get to a stage of having hard power in terms of shares. And as you say as well, like it sort of seems like this, you know, monumental task, you know, this massive hill that can't quite be overcome. But things like this have been done before by the Celtic support. You know, we've mm -hmm. seen it with Celts for Change. We've seen even the Fans Against Criminalisation campaign against the government and the police and the apparatus of the state. And as difficult as things seemed and as long as those campaigns took, they eventually were successful. Um, and I wouldn't ever write off the Celtic support in terms of what it can achieve if we can work together. 100% and you've, you've made a great point there you look at the impact of Celts for Change back in the day and that was at a time when it was far more difficult to communicate we didn't have smartphones internet was not something that the public were using on a daily basis but they were able to put adverts in newspapers they were able to print fanzines and there was a street movement and it was that street movement that carried the momentum um, to then at that time um, set up boycotts and once the attendance at Celtic Park dropped below a certain figure, then the club were in trouble. So the fans were wise to that. And I always I always feel a great sense of pride in Celtic fans because I was reading about this movement in 1987. It took seven further years before the change was affected. But the Celtic fans were way ahead of the curve. We knew exactly what was going on. And these people deserve an immense amount of credit. And I think that this movement also deserves an, an immense amount of credit. When you look at the current situation that we're in Paul and Martin, now Natasha said this earlier you've seen it coming. At what point did you see that the Celtic board had become so complacent that the situation we are currently in was going to materialise? Because we've seen it on the banners, we've seen the warnings, but a lot of people become intoxicated with success and they don't pay attention. 
I think it's an interesting point about complacency because one thing that's been aimed at the fans over the course of the last you know year or this season has been the idea that we're entitled. When really I think true entitlement comes from those who just believe that because we are Celtic, we had a God-given right to continue to win the league without actually doing the work that was required to get us there. Um, and I think that that complacency stems from the top down within the football club. And I think that it's you know it's you can still see it in some of the releases that they've put out this week. In terms of you know decisions over banners and things like that. Nothing is taken lightly, you know, and I think if fans were inside the stadium, there's a more natural build-up um, where fans can, you know, uh, have an outlet for the grievance um, on the terraces, and that's what's happened, um, you know, time immemorial, since, time, you know, Celtic began, and that's how football clubs work. But because of the fact that fans were not in the stadium, the, there had to be some form of protest, we felt, because I think most fans could see it, there were warning signs in, you know, Copenhagen and Ferenc Varos. Um, we then play Rangers and don't register a single shot on goal at home. Um, but then it was getting to a point where by there were discussions almost game on game because you were looking at the league title and thinking we can't afford to lose, you know, any more points up until this point or whatever it may be. Um, and then, you know, we had the embarrassments in Europe. And I think push just came to shove that that we and many other supporters could see that unfortunately the manager was not going to turn this around. Uh, as much as we would want him to, as much as we would love nothing more than to have had Neil Lennon, um, you know, bring it back and win as a 10, it became really obvious that wasn't going to happen. So I think a decision had to be made to try and put pressure on the club. But where, where this comes back to the broader point is that no matter what pressure was put on, the club was really able to sort of just um, shuck it off. They weren't affected by it. And to be honest, this week's announcement actually came as a shock to everyone because we had became so numb to this season, numb to the defeats, the humiliations, that nobody and the Anno was even talking about the potential for him to go. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Because we all almost resigned ourselves to the fact that they weren't listening to us. Uh, and funnily enough, that's when they decide to act. There's actually yeah. a just in, sorry Natasha just on top of just on mm -hmm. top about Paul said there's actually a, a case to be made for the the board actually dug their heels in further the more mm -hmm. the fans voiced their concerns and the more they protested it was almost as if they said you know we'll show you and went against mm -hmm. all kind of everybody else everybody else that could see in what was happening they went against their judgment and and hoped that somehow they would be proven right when everybody could mm -hmm. see that, that the way this was going. Um, I think that's right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on, Martin. Um, and something Paul touched on as well is that, you know, the fans wanted this to work more than anything. Um, you know, we weren't protesting because, as we've said before, one season was going bad. 
The fans would have loved Neil Lennon to be the man to lead us to the 10 in a row, complete the, the fairy tale of starting it and finishing it. We all wanted that. Um, and we were all willing to give it a certain element of time. We knew every result wasn't going to be perfect. But the warning signs were there very early. Like you've touched on, it could have been after you know, the Ferenc-Varos game, the 2-4-1s to Sparta-Prague, the first Ross County defeat in the Cup. We all knew what was going on. Um, and if we had been inside the stadium, like you've touched on, Paul, I think the board would maybe have been pushed into taking action earlier. Um, and we saw some fan groups coming together. Um, we saw the the protests outside the stadium. We saw um, then the peaceful protests that the Celtic Trust um, organised. But like Martin said, the key concern for the fans was then that the board weren't going to bow to that. Um, the last thing they would have wanted to be seen to be doing was the next day them making decisions and giving the fans any sort of inclination that you throw a protest and we'll change for you. Um, because that wasn't what they were going to do. And I think that the concern is that it did make them more and more stubborn. And we then started to come to the realisation that perhaps this was till the end of the season um, and what would it take to remove him from his position? And it seemed like nothing. And to be honest, that Ross County defeat just there, I don't think that would do it because if the results before hadn't done it, why would this one? Um, so like you guys, I was surprised that the action was eventually taken, albeit too late to salvage the season. Um so obviously we've touched there on the fact that there is really that disengagement between the fans and the board. The fans aren't happy with the way the board are managing the club and the board aren't bowing to fan pressure. What can you guys help us achieve in the short term that's going to change that? Martin, I'll put that one over to you. I think short term is the, the, the short term goal is for kind of greater fan engagement with the club. Um, now that is kind of a, a quite a loose term but for how long have we seen stories get leaked to the fans through, we just saw it there mm -hmm. 40 hours ago or, or not even 40 hours ago through the Scottish Sun mm -hmm. um, that just that shouldn't be happening and they, they, they're, totally, they're totally blind to the fact that the fans don't want that to be happening they they just don't, there's no kind of engagement whatsoever. I don't think anybody just kind of spoke to them about it since it's went through. I mean, how many reports have we seen through the sun in the last sort of mm -hmm. six to eight months? They seem to be getting the scoop, and, the scoop on everything. So I think the short term aim is to unite the fan base and and have a kind of voice inside select party, try and influence where we possibly can. We don't want to again stamp our feet and demand. Um, you know, a complete turnover and how they operate, but I think a voice and and to be sort of heard is the kind of short yeah. term short term mean. You know, just on that point, Natasha, just as you were asking the question, Tam McKenna asked something very similar. Uh, the fans need to unify to force a better dialogue with the board. Their silence has been deafening. During the, the, the season we've just had, you would have expected under normal circumstances the board to communicate and engage with the fans. But even more so when you consider how difficult it's been for the fan base, for society as a whole, but during the pandemic. Now, I'm going to ask Martin and Paul, how do you think they should have engaged with the fans? Because for me, they had everything at their fingertips. You know, they've got every source of media available to them. They've got a social media team, they've got a digital media team, yet the silence was absolutely deafening. They had an opportunity before games to speak to season ticket holders who had tuned in on the virtual season ticket. Yet, as you say, all we get is we get leaks to the sun and we get the propaganda on Celtic TV when Peter Lowell came out to apologise. So so what do you think they could have and should have done? For me, the kind of problem started even before this season began because what you had at the end of last season was the sort of debate over the refunds where they really tried their hardest to bury the ability of the supporters amidst a global pandemic uh, and an economic recession from getting their money back um, from matches that were missed last season. And we met with the club um, at June or July of last year uh, alongside, you know, five of the other sort of main fan organisations. And part of the problem is that you're meeting with the club after these decisions have been made. So they're sort of, you know, they're not canvassing opinion. What they're doing is they're justifying the poor decision that they've made. Um, and that, for me, like you've, you've seen some of the, the other fan orgs who've, who've met with the club and, you know, there isn't real genuine engagement. There isn't asking for fans' opinions. It's just this is what we've done and why. Um, and for me, 
you know, there are still decisions to be made. I think that you could probably divide the two biggest issues down the middle. You know, there's the football side, uh, the fact that a club clearly needs to be, um, you know, revolutionised to come up to uh, the kind of modern standards of a, a club of our size in terms of our recruitment, our uh, coaching, our youth facility, whatever it might be. Um, but also the other factor of that is, is, is fan engagement. And for me, you know, we've got one issue that's still hanging over that I don't think that can be uh, put to the side, which is what are the club going to do about the value of the season tickets? Because we there won't be many clubs, I don't think, uh, across Europe who have 53,000 full price paying season ticket holders who haven't given anything back to their supporters. Um, mm. You know, in terms of across Europe, across the UK, clubs have either put season tickets, um, you know, not sold them for the year or gave Provata refunds, um, whereas we've heard nothing from the club. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is just one issue whereby there should be proactive engagement on what do the fans expect here rather than making a poor decision and explaining it to us after the fact and that's what they've done uh, in both a fan sense and a football sense and I think that's where there has to be change I completely agree Paul Um, there has been disengagement all season but none more so than the season ticket issue because that's an issue that literally affects every single season ticket holder Um, now people are paying not insignificant amounts of money to watch a very substandard stream um, on their TV at home you know you take uh, a household who has you know four season tickets all watching one stream that you know cuts out every few minutes or sometimes doesn't load and you know that's a significant amount of money people are paying and the club need to recognize that you know we're in the middle of a pandemic which is affecting people financially um, in all manner of ways and a season ticket is perhaps no longer going to be and essential, but it might end up becoming a luxury that people just can't afford anymore. Um, and they need to recognise the fact that they have got this money from people and they're not providing the service that people signed up for. Um, so while they've not acknowledged how they're going to deal with that this season, they've also not acknowledged how they're going to deal with that next season. Um, and like you said, it's frustrating to think that the board or the club will sit at Celtic Park and make this decision and then tell us about it. Because if you're not in touch with the fan base, you're not making the best decision for the fan base. Um, you know, it's a bit like being out of touch with reality. They don't know what the fans thoughts are, views are, position is, finances are, how can they be the ones to make the best decision on this key issue of the season tickets and the added value? So I'll put that one over to you guys as well. What what do you think the club should do? What do you want to see happen, both in terms of the value we've got this season and with the season tickets next season? I think that it's, you know, what I think is an important point to make. So the added value statement came out of that meeting that the club had with us and the other uh, main fan organisations. And the club put out the statement, I think it was the next day or the day after, about added value. But what was discussed in the meeting wasn't added value, it was equal value. At the mm-hmm. time, we were sort of expecting, you know, things were maybe a bit brighter in terms of the pandemic. We expected to maybe miss five, six games and then get back. So the discussions were centred around what are you going to do to uh, refund us for those five games? Can we get those, mm. you know, maybe one or two, three games a season on our book until um, it's squared off? So, you know, for Celtic to put out that statement and then trying to pretend that, like, getting in a high production team, high quality production team for Celtic TV counts as added value, it's just nonsense. The Celtic support has invested well over 25, potentially £30 million into the club almost as a donation this season. Uh, to put that into perspective, Dermot Desmond is a um, you know, majority of major shareholder uh, and he invested, I think it was £35 million between 1995 and 2005 to get those shares. So for me, it's as simple as the fans have paid for a service that they've not got um, in terms of you could you could definitely deduct off that the price that you would maybe pay for um, Celtic TV if you were abroad because mm-hmm. that's the same service you're fundamentally paid for, mm-hmm. but um, that amount that's left over fans are fans are owed in whatever way shape or form that can be refunded that can be discussed, but I don't think that the club can just say 
oh well you're getting you know 10-15% off next season and we'll call it quits that just doesn't cut it and for me it comes back to there has to be a discussion with fans about the decision before it's made what do fans expect before it's made rather than them mm-hmm. So if the club do come out and say that, um, do you? So if the club come out next season and say there's a ten percent reduction, fifteen percent, twenty percent reduction, what impact do you think that's going to have on the fan base? Because I know from from my own um, social media feeds, from the Twitter polls that we do here, that there's a lot of fans unsure about renewing anyway. Um, a lot of fans said that they certainly wouldn't renew if the current management team was in place. And a lot of fans said that their renewal decision is going to be based on who we bring in to be the new manager and whether that's a sign of the board's ambitions matching the fans' ambitions. So if the club come out and say that there's going to be a 10-15% reduction in the value of season ticket next year, they don't tell us what their plans are for a new manager and the renewal forms come out in March. What impact do you see that happening, Martin? I'll put that one over to you. It's going to be a, a very hard sell for them anyway, mm-hmm. put it that way. Um, I don't know how they're going to price this or what they're going to what they're going to um, come up with, if anything, in terms of refund or reimbursement. But if they try and start to sell renewals in the next sort of 46 weeks while well, things are so grey, I just don't see the uptake being um, very high at all. That is obviously taking into effect, that's before we take into account you know, people's own kind of personal financial circumstances as a result of the last 12 months as well. Um, just to kind of touch on what Paul said, I just kind of get my, my head around the picture of sort of four or five sort of rich guys in the middle of the boardroom trying to come up with a way of uh, how to reimburse you know so many people who have paid so much money they're totally out of touch without actually consulting any of the supporters in terms of what, what's important to us um, but now like I say in terms of trying to predict season ticket numbers for next season while things are so are so great it's, it's, it's pretty much impossible but um, I don't imagine the uptake being, being pretty high certainly at this stage mm. A question coming in on YouTube from Kevin Hamsey um, on the Celtic Shared. Is this for all fans, non-season ticket holders and season ticket holders? Can everyone be part of this movement? And it ties in with another point coming in from Kaplow Mark. Why have the club never offered the membership to the wider support? Worldwide would be huge. That's something that comes up quite a lot, Paul. So could you just explain to everyone that what you're doing is for the wider Celtic community, for the wider Celtic fan base? Yeah, absolutely. So we've tried to put that out on Twitter. We've also tried to contact uh, different supporters, buses and, you know, fan media and, and anyone really that uh, we think we could at least sign up to. You know, we're still in our infancy in terms of deciding on structure. So, you know, the, it's certainly been sort of driven by the GB at the moment. But the hope is to sort of gradually move to a more democratic model if you can get more fans involved. Uh, or, um, you know, we've got all our kind of email details on Twitter and what we're doing at the moment is just collating, um, you know, the email uh, addresses of fans who want to get involved and we'll be keeping them updated. You know, we hope to have uh, an online meeting next week where, you know, rather than going and telling fans kind of, you know, what, what our plans are, and we do have some things in mind, I think what we want to do more than anything is the Neil Lennon issue is now done, right? It's gone at least... Um, you know, that kind of cloud is removed and hopefully that the division that comes with it is gone. Uh, but what I think is important now is if people want to get involved, uh, get in touch, uh, come along to the meeting. And what we would like to hear from fans is what are your concerns? What are your biggest issues at the moment in terms of how the club is run? Um, and then that we can take that, that feedback back um, and then hopefully begin uh, to put it into action in terms of external pressure. Because as I say, there's already lots of organisations as well who, uh, you know, do their jobs well in terms of discussing with Celtic internally. But I think they need a bit more external pressure to make them act in the way that is required. And it's obviously difficult. You know, we're living in uh, slightly mad times. Uh, you know, it doesn't look as though, um, you know, we're going to be out of lockdown anytime soon. You know, we're going to be maybe getting back into a kind of tiered um, system from April. So it's going to be difficult to get people together physically for the time being. So what we need to do is is, is get together, and it can be fans, you know, who have season tickets. It can be fans across the world. You know, you talk you talk about, you know, the membership. Like I think, is, is it Benfica 
that has, you know, the biggest uh, membership of supporters in the world. And they're in a sort of similar position to us in the, t- in the sense that they're a big club in a smaller league, a huge passionate fan base and also quite a wide diaspora beyond their own borders. Um, and it's something that they use to their benefit. Um, but from a Celtic Shield perspective, what we want is as many to get involved, as many to get in touch as possible, as many ideas, as many suggestions. And we'll do our best to take it on board um, and hopefully try and put as much into action as possible. I think just to kind of piggyback on that, an important point to make is as much as as much as it's the GB that have kind of got this off the ground, um, I would really really encourage anybody because I, I don't for one minute think that absolutely everybody supports the Green Brigade and loves what the Green Brigade do and all the rest of it. Yeah. I appreciate there's some who are who are far from supportive. However, this is no as much as it's Green Brigade tour, like I say, are, are kind of getting off the ground. It's not going to be the Green Brigade tour. We're probably going to be driving this forever. Um, we we will work with, with anybody and and we want to get everybody in under the kind of one umbrella and to kind of put prejudices prejudices aside if, if they possibly can and, and kind of just come along and, and hear what, what kind of plans are in place. Um, so I'd encourage you. It's important to say as well that because of the size of the Celtic support, we've tried our best to get in touch with as many like buses and CSEs as we possibly can, but we're going to have missed some. You know, it would be mm-hmm. physically impossible to capture the entire Celtic support uh, in our first attempt. So I don't want anyone out there to be, you know, offended if they've been sort of missed through, they've slipped through the net. Uh, so don't hesitate to get in touch um, and we'll do our best to keep you informed. And as I say, hopefully we can have some form of, of kind of meeting discussion within the next week or two um, and, you know, we can begin to really hear what people want to see happen. Absolutely, um, and no, guys, this does sound really excellent. And I think the point of all the fans coming under the one umbre- umbrella is going to be so important if we're to make our voice heard. And just to confirm again, which is a point that we've had coming a couple of times, this isn't a solely Green Brigade initiative. This is an initiative started by the Green Brigade for the full of the Celtic support. It doesn't matter if you're based in Scotland, Ireland, Europe, the rest of the world, whether you have a season ticket or not, everybody has the opportunity to get involved with this, which is something that's quite unique and quite important and it sets this initiative apart. And one thing that I think can actually achieve success is taking this wide range of views. Um, The more diverse a group you have together, you know, the bit more beneficial beneficial that'll be to to what we can achieve Um, and the one thing that you've touched on Paul is that gathering the views of the Celtic support is a very difficult thing to do I mean we know it on here ourselves. you know um, I'm on here on a Tuesday with Paul and Lawrence the three of us don't always agree you know Paul and Lawrence are always disagreeing and that's just between three of us so you know trying to take on board the views of not only you know the 50 odd thousand season ticket holders but the wider Celtic group is a very difficult issue um, so that's going to be a challenge for, for you guys and for Celtic Shared to, to overcome what are your thoughts on that how are you going to gather all these wide ranging views from a whole range of fan bases um, how are you going to amalgamate that take that together and use it to, to go together as one voice what are your thoughts on that what I would say is that you know, you're right that there is a sort of fracture uh, within the support and a lot of disagreement and that's totally natural what I would hope that people can either agree on or be convinced on is that the fans should have a greater say in how our club is run I think that's something that should be able to unite the supporters. And if that means us having, you know, to... And that's part of what this campaign is. It's a sort of hearts and mind campaign to sell that to people. It's not about the GB. It's not about the Celtic Trust. It's not about me, Martin, any other individuals. It's about having a vehicle and an opportunity for all supporters of all backgrounds and of all different opinions to have more of a say and how our club is running. It mean, hopefully mean that when there is consensus, for example, like there was this season, uh, over, for example, the manager's position, or there was at least broad consensus. I think the vast majority, you know, come November, December, realised that he had to be removed, that that voice, when something is so overwhelming, it can't be ignored. Um, so for me, it's not about, you know, whether or not you agree on the GB's, uh, you know, political stance on Palestine, or if you agree with you know things we've done in the past or what other organisations do or, or have done it's about a voice for the fans and I think that is something that 
if people aren't united on now, I think they can be sold on it, and I think that's the basis of this campaign. One thing coming in from one of our regular contributors, Jungle Lion, welcome back, and he goes on to say, do the lads think the more protest, the more stubborn the board becomes? Now, it's something you've already touched on, but the reason I'm bringing it up is, as you say, in a matter of weeks, the the boards are going to try and devise some kind of marketing ploy, some kind of charm offensive to get us all back on board for next season after this disastrous season that we've just endured. Now, with, with regards to what Jungle Lion is saying there, do you think that it really is a situation where they don't understand that if they don't get something in place, and, and by something I mean a vision, sometimes it may not actually be someone is appointed at this moment in time because they can't get the job uh, um, until June or July, let's just say for argument's sake. But they need to sell us a vision. They need to tell the Celtic support, this is what we're going to be doing over the next three or five years. You looked at the, the Brendan Rogers interview yesterday and he was talking about how the new Celtic manager needs to have more control over the players that he brings in. Now, we know and have known for a long time the interference of the CEO up to this point, and that was interference with uh, player recruitment, interference with putting together a coaching staff for Neil Lennon. So when it comes to the club actually giving us their their vision uh, by trying to sell us this, this season tickets, do you think that that will happen without the engagement because up until now I wouldn't expect the club to be engaging with us you know going by past performances this season however if they don't one of the comments that came in uh, earlier on uh, on the broadcast was that are we looking at a Celtic Park around about the Ronnie Dyler time where the top tier is closed are you expecting any kind of engagement before the season ticket renewals come out Paul and Martin so in terms of the, the kind of question that was put there about, you know, did the board become more stubborn? It's obviously difficult to kind of make a judgment on that, but I do think that there's, there's definitely evidence that Dermot Desmond, A, has far too much power for one individual, and B, can be quite vindictive and is potentially digging his, or has potentially dug his heels in at points to sort of spite the support. In terms of the board, you know, obviously we're going to have a new chief executive. I think there's definitely a discussion to be had about the role of the non-executive directors. I think that they've been, um, you know, they've been in their positions for far too long. I think that there's been a culture of conformity uh, within our club, uh, within our board, sorry. Um, in terms of how that goes forward, I'm not too sure in terms of how the new CEO will approach things. I do think that trying to get proper engagement is going to be difficult. I think that's why we have to use what leverage we can. I think it's why we have to apply both internal and external pressure to try and force the club more towards our way of thinking on you know the most prominent issues. But I also think that in the longer term, the only way to really prevent uh, these types of things continually happening is by ensuring that fans have hard power in terms of how the club is running. That would be in the longer term moving to a fan ownership model because otherwise, you know, you're, you're going to have a figure like Dermot Desmond who is unfortunately able to uh, call the shots. The point you made before, for me, basically lays it out in, in black and white. You've got someone who calls the shots at the moment because they've invested £35 million over a 10-year period, yet the, the fans are contributing almost as much year-on-year year in season tickets. So why don't we have that voice? It's as simple as that for me. Some of the questions coming in are, obviously the Celtic Trust have been trying to gather as much momentum as possible in relation to gathering up the shares so that we have more more of an influence. At what stage do you think that would be possible? How many shares would we need to gather as a fan base before we had any kind of voice, any kind of um, say in how things are at Celtic? Well, I think it's interesting, you know, that point about, you know, the fans put in, you know, maybe 25 to 30 million. And this season, that was a donation. You know, had we uh, pulled that money and invested it in the club, I don't think the season would have went the way that it did because we would have had more of a say. I do think that, you know, in terms of shares, there's sort of two issues. So there's one issue of trying to, um, you know, accumulate shares. Uh, and that's, you know, the Celtic Trust thing. And we fully support them on that endeavour. And the other thing is trying to consolidate the shares that are already out there. There's already, you know, a reasonable percentage of shares are owned by fans, you know, that 
you know, bought them uh, in the 90s as part of the, the share issue then or uh, maybe the share issue for Lennox Town. And they're sort of framed on the wall and, you know, they've moved home a couple of times and they don't really know what it is and they lose their voting power. What happens when, you know, like that becomes, you know, a bigger problem is it consolidates the power with those who do have a higher amount of the votes because if less people are voting, their votes count for more. And that's part of the reason we've ended up in this issue. So I think that there are two issues. I think that, uh, and I think that the Celtic Trust are going to try and push to consolidate uh, as many votes out there as possible. Um, but in terms of buying up shares, it is something that, um, you know, has to be considered. Um, and I think even if you get to having a block of, you know, 10, 20%, which is very doable with the shares that are already out there, then you can't just be ignored. You can't just be batted away. You know, Dermot Desmond doesn't have over 50% of the shares, but he's, you know, he's by far and away the, the sort of a figure that is deemed to own the club. Uh, and then the second, you know, biggest shareholder is a, you know, private equity firm in Linzell Train, um, you know, with really not much more emotional attachment at all. Um, so for me, we shouldn't have, you know, billionaire investors who have more of a say in how the club is run than the fans who continually fund us year on year. And it's not like, it's not like we're an English club, you know, like relying on, uh, you know, TV money, you know, the, the, the fans it's, uh, are the main source of income for Celtic Football Club, you know. So for me, there has to be a, a model of some sort to move to a more democratic um, ownership of the club. And I think that, you know, buying shares and consolidating shares is in the long term the only way that that can be done. I think that's absolutely right, Paul. Um, and I've had a lot of messages come in since um, we've posted about Celtic Shared on our page who are saying, like, you know, this sounds great. Um, I want to say in the club. I want to contribute. I want to move towards fan ownership. I want to get involved with shares. I want a voice. What's the best way of them doing that? If I was a fan sitting at home listening to this thinking that all sounds absolutely great, get me involved. How do I get shares? How do I get a voice? What do they do? One thing is we can't give, uh, you know, advice on buying shares because you uh, need to be kind of legally certified to do that. Um, but, you know, you can certainly join the Celtic Trust. Um, and if you do, you you would automatically own shares as part of your ownership of the trust and therefore the trust's assets. Um, but you also would then have a democratic say in how the trust is run. Um, and, you know, people can be nominated to the committee or nominated to certain positions. So you would automatically have a say in that. Um, I, I, as I say, I, I, we can't legally give any sort of advice on, on people going out and buying chairs. Um, but I do think that there is a discussion to be had about, um, you know, how can people more easily, more accessibly have that option. Um, and hopefully, you know, I'm sure the Celtic Trust will have plans in that regard um, and we'll maybe hear from them in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to that. Um Obviously, you know, the Celtic Trust are separate to Celtic Shared. Um, they're dealing with the, the share side of things. But you guys work closely together. Um, talk to me a bit about your relationship with them, um, how you're different, but how coming together um, under one umbrella, the two different groups can actually work really well together and complement each other. Because I know a lot of fans out there have already signed up to the Celtic Trust. Um, they've already used them for buying shares and now they're hearing about Celtic Shared and they're thinking, oh, well, this is an initiative I want to get involved in. Talk to me about the relationship between these two groups. I think it's... Um, on you go, well, I think it's important just to stress again that, that this is more than just kind of the Green Brigade and the Celtic Trust. As much as the Celtic Trust have endorsed this already, the Celtic Trust are, are like a legal a kind of legal entity and it makes it very difficult for them to kind of act swiftly in the face of kind of changing circumstances or whatever because they have to work, work within the parameters of the organisation that they, they already, quite rightly so, um, have already got set out. Celtic Shared kind of takes that away and as much as the Green Brigade and the Trust and whoever else wants to join us and we've already got some kind of signed up um, members and organisations, it kind of allows the flexibility for us and the Trust and anybody else to kind of work outside the kind of constitutional parameters, if you like, the Celtic Trust have to adhere to. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. 
One thing, Natasha, there's a few people coming in uh, asking about the uh, identity of the two speakers, Paul and Martin. So I thought I'd throw this one in from Tony. It's actually Kieran Tierney we're talking to, and that's why <laughs> that's why he's not showing his face. You're absolutely right. You're spot on, Tony. Um, but obviously, with, with regards to everything that's been spoken about, uh, one of the interesting things you said earlier on, Paul, was that um, th- there was this kind of resignation that Neil Lennon was going to be in charge. We had seen the protests, we had seen the banners, we had heard all the, the dialogue on podcasts like this one, yet, you know, they, they feed a story to the, the sun one night and then they give us the official announcement the following day. Um, we're looking ahead, we know who's going to be the CEO next season and beyond. What about in terms of the management team? Are we going to be waiting on the announcement, do you think, of a director of football? Is that something that, you know, was uh, more or less confirmed yesterday? And if so... What would we be expecting the Celtic fans as the manager? Do you have anybody in mind or any any kind of level of manager in mind yourselves? Um, I don't I don't know if it's uh, you know we've certainly not had discussions about whether or not we think Pep Guardiola would come over to Glasgow uh, to try and get things back on track. But I think I think personally, you know, I'm not really speaking on behalf of you know Celtic Shield, but I think personally, like a director of football model uh, is badly needed. And you know, you kind of touched on it uh, yourself a little bit earlier. One of the main problems in terms of how the football has been run is that Peter Lawwell has been acting as a de facto director of football uh, for at least the past five, six years, probably longer than that. So I think we need a whole uh, restructuring in terms of uh, recruitment. Our recruitment's been really poor um, in terms of, you know, our our youth department. We've been hemorrhaging young, talented footballers, which is a massive concern. Um, You know, our analytics, you know, you know, sports signs, a lot of the kind of professional aspects of the club that, you know, like him or load him, uh, Brendan Rogers brought to the club. A lot of that seems, from my perspective, uh, to have kind of slid to the point that, um, you know, it's one of the big factors, I think, in the season going the way that it has. In terms of a manager, I think what the support want to see more than anything is just a bit of ambition. You know, they don't want to see someone like, you know, Paul Lambert or Roy Keane just given the job because they happen to play for us or have an affiliation for us. You want to see someone brought in for their expertise, for their experience and the qualities that they might bring to developing not just the team for the next season, but hopefully revitalising the club. Um, and I, I think, again, I think that the fans should... I'm not expecting the fans to be brought round the table and to be asked, you know, who do you, who do you want? And we have a, a poll on Twitter and whoever wins it is to be offered the job. Um, but I do think that fans should be kept abreast of what the club's plans are. They've failed uh, terribly in that, you know, in terms of their mm-hmm. communications. It was getting laughable at one point when it's just, you know, Twitter happy birthday messages getting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, five a day on the Twitter. They've failed really drastically on that. And for me, mm-hmm. they have to communicate... After saying that we're going to get a director of football, great, I'm, I'm all aboard for that. But they have to continue to communicate where they are at each step. And it can't just be a point of, we get to the end of the season, qualifiers are nearly upon us, um, they've not got you know anyone kind of over the line and they panic and bring in a perceived safe pair of hands that just sets us back forward. Aye, and it's just, it's just another kind of stopgap. What what kind of stuck out for me was um, in the, the results of the review, if that's what you want to call it, when, when Ian Banker released his statement about two weeks ago, I think he alluded to us and has been a kind of top European organisation, when actually the way we've acted has, has been anything but. Everything's so reactive, it's kind of constantly firefighting. There doesn't seem to be any kind of planning or preparation in place. And as far as I'm concerned, that's not how a top European club operates. We're miles behind in terms of how a top European club operates and hopefully the director of football, sporting director, whatever it is you want to call it, is the kind of, is the kind of first step in terms of modernising how we operate as a football club. What was funny about that banker statement was that it's sort of asking the fans to trust the club on it and you're like, well, what have you done over the course of the last year to deserve yeah. that trust? Um, and I think that's why there has to be greater explanation of what the process is going to be this time around. That's absolutely it. And um, it's a comment we've got coming in on from Bravchik25 on YouTube is about this engagement. He says that he's been following the side home and away, including Europe, for over 50 years and have never, ever felt remotely engaged 
with the longest relationship of his life. And that's the point. You know, Celtic fans put their time, their money, their passion, their energy into this club. And we're not getting any of that back. You know, the board aren't matching our ambition. They're not matching our desires for the club. And if they are, then we're certainly not hearing about it. You know, something you guys have both touched on is that what we as the fans want and what the board need to do in order to get us to depart with our season ticket money next year is be clear about where they see this club going. Are we going to be a club who are challenging for first and it being a tight race in Scotland every year? Or do they want to get us back to where we used to be in terms of competing properly in Europe? You know, making the group stages of the Champions League every year occasionally get into the last 16, maybe two out of every three seasons or or less, but at least being up there and challenging that. And if that's where they see us going as a club, then they need to appoint the right manager to get us there. And that's not someone um, maybe like a Jack Ross. It's someone like you guys have touched on. Maybe it's going to a more modernised model of a director of football who's not Peter Lawwell with a good coaching set up underneath him and being that you know leading European club that for some reason the club think we are but we're not acting like so what I want to see next is the club appointing a manager and appointing a new structure similar to that of of the bigger European clubs and perhaps we can we can get back to being one of them because we're not behaving like one and we're not performing like one at the moment um one of the one of the big points coming through, Natasha, we'll bring up some of the, the comments. James Strachan, the Green Brigade are not interested in true fans, but um, the next comment that comes up is define a true fan. The Green Brigade are absolutely true fans. Um, but then we do have another point coming through from Richard Murray. The Green Brigade make up half of one single section of Parkhead. That's less than 500 out of 60,000. They speak for very few in my experience. Now, just to underline and highlight what's already been said in that respect, this isn't a Green Brigade movement. You're helping to get it off the ground. You wish to engage with other fan groups. You're engaging with a Celtic state of mind today and opening it up to our audience so that they can ask questions and you can clarify the way that this is set up. But just to clarify, this isn't the Green Brigade under a different guise. Uh, this is, I mean, these are comments we hear and read uh, every time the Green Brigade do something. We've never once claimed to be the voice of Celtic fans. We never will. And I dare say Celtic shares will be the same. We'll never claim to be the voice of Celtic fans. However, we will claim to represent those who have signed up to Celtic Shared. The Green Brigade, when we release statements and do banners and, and all the rest of the activities, we do that on behalf of the Green Brigade. Um, it's no on behalf of the Celtic support and it's a it's a criticism if you like that's aimed time and time again and it, it can be quite tiresome I dare say actually now you kind of read it when some when some of you guys are, are going on um, media the, the, the criticism is saying well you're not speaking on behalf of the Celtic support you're not claiming to speak on behalf of your Celtic support you're giving your own kind of viewpoint your own opinion No Absolutely <laughs> Um, and it's something like you said that we get levied at us as well is um, what gives us the right to speak on behalf of, of all the fans we're not, we're putting across our view and if that represents a large portion of the Celtic fans then fair enough we don't always agree amongst ourselves you know you can't represent the entirety of the Celtic support and something like what is a true fan you know is it someone who goes to every game? Is it someone who lives on the other side of the world and gets up at three in the morning to watch all the games? It doesn't matter. But I think what's important is that Celtic Shared are representing all of these people and they are going to give a voice to to all of these people should they choose to sign up. Um, and while you can't possibly represent the opinion of every fan of Celtic, you can do your best to take on board the views of the majority and then put forward a majority opinion of your group um, and the larger that group is um, the bigger and more unanimous the voice can be so the more people that get involved and the more people that sign up to this and and take part the the more prominent the voice and the more opinions we can take on board so it's a great movement for that so I think that's something that people should bear in mind is that get involved sign up if you don't agree with the opinions come and tell you guys let them know yours and they'll take it on board I think that's key. I mean, coming on to a Celtic state of mind, speaking to uh, a, an audience who have been sticking with us all season, and thanks everybody for getting involved, and basically sharing that information. It's the, the clue is in the name. We're sharing the information, and we're hoping that you know enough fans who feel the same way, 
who might not be involved in a supporters club or um, watch a podcast, we, we're able to actually speak to them uh, by all different avenues that we have available to us. So it's been great actually for Paul and Martin to come on and speak a wee bit more about Celtic Shared. Tell us just before we go, guys, where can we find you online? How can we get involved? Uh, CelticShared.outlook.com is the email address if anybody is what a kind of email over kind of for more information um, on how to get involved and all that kind of stuff and we're on Twitter as well and it's Celtic at Celtic underscore shared is that right Paul <laughs> from memory that's the one mate Aye, Celtic underscore shared um, we do I mean what I should add is that it's a logistical, been a logistical nightmare trying to get a hold of as many CSEs and, and so on as possible. So we are kind of working through that. Um, but I would strongly encourage any CSEs that haven't been in contact with us yet to reach out. It's no, it's not been intentional or anything like that. Just you can imagine this, the the fan base and, and how long it's taken. What we're looking to do is set up a kind of virtual meeting fairly soon. Um, and listen, see, even if you're not totally convinced, I'd urge any CSC or, or organisation to send a rep and and you know attend that meeting and take it back to your your members and make a call on it from there. Um, by attending the first meeting that you're invited to doesn't mean to say that you're you're signing up for, for anything but I would encourage people to at least dial in and, and hear what we've got to say and what the plans are and, and listen to fellow supporters Absolutely Just finally to come back to your point about the, the kind of GB and the fact that people will have mixed views on it as I say, you know, we're not particularly sensitive about the fact that you know people might dislike us or dislike things we've done. But I think it just comes back to that one final question, which is, should fans have more of a say in how our club is run? And if you think that they should, then this is for you, regardless of what you might think about uh, you know, us or the, the trust or whoever else it may be. If you think that fans should have more of a say in how the club is run, then we all have to act on it. Somebody used the analogy, and I think it's quite good to kind of round things up on that the Green Brigade might be starting the ignition, but they're not necessarily going to be driving the car down the road. And I think that that's you know quite a good way to put it. We've kind of got things started, but listen, let's get everybody else involved and, and see where we can take it. Absolutely. Now, I need to thank Natasha for engaging with yourselves, Paul and Martin, and organising this extra bulletin today. We will be back at half past 12. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved via YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. And um, with regards to Celtic Share, thanks for your time, guys. And everybody out there, be sure to check them out on Twitter. Drop them an email. And if you're part of a group or a supporters club who haven't already been contacted, then contact Celtic Share. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on a Celtic state of mind What's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. 
Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.